Sheikh Ibn Baz was asked, I began fasting the six days of Shawwal, however I was unable to complete them because of extenuating circumstances and work. Now I have two days remaining, so what do I do? Do I make up these days or is there any sin upon me? The Sheikh responded, Fasting the six days of Shawwal is a recommended act of worship and not an obligation. So for you is the reward for the days that you fasted of them, and it is hoped that you get the complete reward if you were prevented from fasting all of the days due to an Islamically acceptable reason, and you do not have to make up the days that you were unable to fast from them. This is because the Prophet ﷺ said in an authentic hadith narrated by Imam al-Bukhari, If the servant becomes ill or is traveling, then Allah writes for him that which he used to do when he was in good health and back at home. And with Allah lies all Shaykh ibn Jibreen was asked, Is the fast of the ninth and the tenth days of Muharram recommended? The Shaykh responded, The fast of the day of Ashura, the tenth day of Muharram, is recommended as its excellence has been mentioned in a number of ahadith, such as the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, Certainly the fast of the day of Ashura is regarded by Allah as an expiation for the sins of the previous year. Also when the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina, he saw the Jews fasting on this day. So when he asked them about this, they said, Certainly this is the day when Allah made Musa victorious and destroyed Fir'aun. So the Prophet ﷺ said, We have more right to Musa than you. So he fasted that day and ordered it to be fasted. As for the ninth, then it has not been confirmed that the Prophet ﷺ fasted it. However, it has been narrated by Ibn Abbas and others that the explanation or the tafsir of the day of Ashura is that it is the tenth. And it has been narrated that he ﷺ said, If I am still here next year, then certainly I will fast the ninth day of Muharram. And in another narration, along with the tenth day of Muharram. And he ﷺ said, Differ from the Jews. Fast the day before it, the ninth, or the day after it, the eleventh. So this indicates that the fast of the ninth is legislated, just as the tenth. Furthermore, it is recommended for the Muslims to increase in fasting during this month, as is narrated in an authentic hadith. So this indicates that the fast of the ninth is legislated just as the tenth. Furthermore, it is recommended for the Muslims to increase in fasting during this month, as it is narrated in an authentic hadith, where the Prophet ﷺ said, The best of fasts after the month of Ramadan is the month of Allah, which they refer to as Muharram. On this day, the 10th of Muharram, there occurred an incident, and that was the murder of Al-Husayn anhu. And when he was murdered that day, the Rafida, commonly known as the Shia, may Allah disgrace them, who are amongst those who exceed in their love for Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu and his family, such as Al-Hasan and Al-Husayn and their children. These people began an innovation on that day which still exists today. And from their innovations are lamenting or loud weeping and gathering as if for a funeral and afflicting oneself with cuts and acts of the days of ignorance before Islam, such as striking their cheeks and ripping their pockets and tearing out their hair and supplicating with grief and distress throughout the day every year. 
The Shia also circulate many fabricated ahadith regarding the day of Ashura and its misfortune concerning Al Hussein. But all of these ahadith are lies against the Prophet. Then there came a nation called the Nawasib, who were fanatics in contrast to the Shia, who also began innovations. However, their innovations were opposite to the innovations of the Rafidah. They would come out in their best garments in complete beauty and appearance so as to irritate the Rafidah. And they also circulated many fabricated ahadith about the excellence of the day of Ashura in contrast to the ahadith which the Rafidah had circulated. So the Rafidah say, it is mentioned in the hadith, whoever applies kuhl or eyeliner to the eyes and beautifies themselves on the day of Ashura, they are struck with ophthalmia. And the Nawasib say, whoever applies kuhl, eyeliner to the eyes on the day of Ashura, their eyes will never be struck with ophthalmia. So they innovate and lie against the Prophet ﷺ. So it is upon the Muslim not to be deceived by any of these people. The Permanent Committee for Islamic Research and Fatahs asked, What is obligatory upon the Muslim to do on the day of Ashura, i.e. the 10th day of Muharram? And is Zakat al-Fitr obligatory on that day? The Permanent Committee responded, it is legislated for the Muslim to fast on the day of Ashura because it has been authentically confirmed that the Prophet ﷺ ordered fasting on the day of Ashura. However, when the fasting of Ramadan was obligated, whoever preferred to fast Ashura did so, and whoever preferred not to, did not. However, there is no zakat al-fitr to be paid on the day of Ashura as there is on Eid al-fitr after the month of Ramadan. And with Allah lies all success, and may Allah send prayers and salutations upon our Prophet Muhammad, upon his family, and all of his companions. The Permanent Committee for Islamic Research and Fatahs asked, Is it permissible to fast the fast of Ashura just one day? The Permanent Committee responded, It is permissible to fast the day of Ashura alone, which falls on the tenth day of Muharram, However, it is better to fast the day before it or the day after it also. This is the established sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ who said in an authentic hadith narrated by Imam Muslim as well as others, If I am still alive next year, then certainly I shall fast the ninth day of Muharram. And Ibn Abbas said that this meant that he would fast the ninth day of Muharram along with the tenth day of Muharram. And with Allah lies all success. And may Allah send prayers and salutations upon our Prophet Muhammad and upon his family and all of his companions. The Permanent Committee for Islamic Research and Fatahs asked, What is the ruling regarding the one who has days of fasting remaining from the month of Ramadan, yet wishes to fast a voluntary fast or the fast of Ashura, i.e. the tenth day of Muharram? For example, he wants to fast both the 10th and the 11th days with the intention of making up the missed fast of Ramadan and not the fast of the day of Ashura. Also, is it permissible for one to fast the day of Ashura even if he has fast to make up from the month of Ramadan? And is it permissible for one who has days to make up from Ramadan to fast the day of Ashura and the day before it or the day after it with the intention of making up what he has missed? The permanent committee responded, He should not perform any voluntary fasts while he still has a day or days to make up for Ramadan, which is an obligatory fast. 
Instead, he should begin by making up that which he has outstanding from Ramadan, and then perform voluntary fasts after that. Secondly, if he fasted the tenth and eleventh days of the month of Muharram, with the intention of making up that which he has outstanding from the days of Ramadan, then that is permissible and sufficient in making up the two days from that which he has outstanding. Because the Prophet sallallahu said, The reward of deeds depends upon the intentions, and every person will get the reward according to what he has intended. And with Allah lies all success, and may Allah send prayers and salutations upon our Prophet Muhammad, and upon his family, and all of his companions. Shaykh ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, The Prophet ﷺ said, When Ramadan arrives, the doors of paradise are flung open and the doors of hellfire are slammed shut. Al-Hadith. Does this mean that one who dies in Ramadan enters paradise without questioning? The Shaykh responded, No, the Hadith does not mean that. Rather, what it means is that the doors of paradise are flung open as an inspiration to the Muslims to make easy their entrance into paradise and the doors of hellfire are shut to prevent the believers from sins so that they do not enter through these doors. However, this does not mean that one who dies in Ramadan enters paradise without questioning. Rather, those who shall enter paradise without questioning are those whom the Messenger ﷺ has described in his statement. They are the ones who do not steal and do not cauterize and are not pessimistic and in their Lord they put their trust. Shaykh Ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, I've heard there are different levels in fasting. Is there any truth in this statement? The Shaykh responded, If you mean by levels the difference between obligatory fasting and supererogatory fasting, then this is correct. Obligatory fasting is better than supererogatory fasting. As for the degree of excellence and reward, then the reward is with Allah. Furthermore, there is a big difference in the reward for fasting according to what the person does while fasting with respect to adhering to good Islamic manners and behavior or lack of doing so, and according to what he has in his heart in terms of ikhlas or sincerity. The Permanent Committee for Islamic Research and Fatah was asked, Is the one who does not fast, even though he is not ill or anything, become a kafir, despite performing his obligatory prayers? The permanent committee responded, One who does not fast because he rejects its obligation, then he is a kafir by consensus. As for the one who does not fast because he is lazy and negligent, then he does not become a kafir. However, he is in great danger because he has left off a pillar from the pillars of Islam. As for the one who does not fast because he is lazy and negligent, then he does not become a kafir. However, he is in great danger because he is left off a pillar from the pillars of Islam because it has been agreed upon that all of the pillars of Islam are wajib or obligatory. The Permanent Committee for Islamic Research and Fatah was asked, Is it possible for a person to fast three days and nights of Ramadan such that this becomes a substitute for the 30 days of Ramadan? The Permanent Committee responded, This is not permissible and none of the scholars have said this. That is because the night is not the time for fasting, and he who does so is regarded as one who opposes the pure sharia by introducing something which Allah has not legislated, and as such, ends up not fasting in Ramadan without a valid Islamic reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
has legislated upon able and qualified Muslims to fast all of Ramadan and it is not sufficient to fast part of it in place of the rest. Shaykh Ibn Ruthaymin was asked, We need to know the ruling about the one who does not pray the five obligatory daily prayers. The Shaykh responded, The fast of a person who does not pray is not correct, nor is it accepted from him. This is because the one who does not pray is a kafir and an apostate from the religion of Islam, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, but if they repent, offer prayers perfectly, and give zakah, then they are your brethren in religion. Surah Tawbah, verse number 11. And also the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, the agreement which is between us and them is the salah. So he who leaves it has disbelieved. And in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, between a man in shirk and kufr is leaving the salah. And certainly this is the statement of most of the companions, although it was not a consensus amongst them. Abdullah ibn Shaqiq, rahimullah, who was amongst the prominent tabi'een, said the companions of the Prophet ﷺ did not see the leaving off of any actions to be kufr except the prayer. And based upon this, if a person was to fast while he did not pray, then his fast is rejected and unacceptable. And it is of no benefit for him in front of Allah on the day of judgment. And we say to him, pray, then fast. As for fasting and not praying, then your fast is rejected because no act of worship is accepted from a kafir. Shaykh ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, We notice some of the Muslims neglecting their prayers throughout the months of the year. And when Ramadan arrives, they hasten to perform the prayers and the fasting and reciting the Qur'an. So what is the ruling of their fast and what is your advice for them? Their fast is correct since it is not associated with anything which spoils it. However, my advice to them is to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with regard to themselves and to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to that which has been legislated upon them at all their respected times and with all their abilities. We do not know when death will suddenly strike and it is possible that these people are waiting for the month of Ramadan in order to pray but they may not live to see it. Death is certain so we should worship Allah until we die as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and worship your Lord until there comes unto you the hour that is certain. Surah Al-Hijr verse number 99. Shaykh Ibn Fawzan was asked, What is the ruling regarding the conversation between a non-mahram male and a female on the telephone whilst fasting? And what if they themselves are engaged to each other? The Shaykh responded, Conversation on the telephone between a non-mahram male and a female is not permissible because of the possibility of fitna or danger that exists in doing so. However, it is permissible for the female who is engaged to the one she is speaking to to talk with him provided that the conversation is for the sake of understanding something related to issues surrounding their engagement. However, it is better and safer for the non-mahram male to speak to the female's wali or the one in charge of her affairs. As for the conversation between the male and the female and other than the issue of engagement, then it is not permissible because of the extreme danger of fitna and because it is feared that this may lead to something dangerous and impermissible. If this was done during the fast, then it affects the fast by diminishing it in reward 
because it is required from the one who is fasting to protect his fast from anything that breaches it and diminishes it. And how often is it that moral and social problems come about as a result of telephone conversations between males and females? Therefore, it is obligatory for those in charge of the affairs of females to prevent them from this and to make sure that they don't fall into this danger. Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah was asked, Regarding the first ten days and nights of Dhul-Hijjah and the last ten days and nights of Ramadan, which of the two are superior? The Shaykh responded, The first ten days of Dhul-Hijjah are superior to the last ten days of Ramadan, and the last ten nights of Ramadan are superior to the first ten nights of Dhul-Hijjah. As for the last ten nights of Ramadan, then they are the nights of activity and worship. The Prophet ﷺ used to spend those nights awake in worship. And within the last ten nights of Ramadan is Laylatul Qadr, or the night of power, which is better than a thousand months. So whoever responds with other than this explanation, then he has done so without the correct proof. The Permanent Committee for Islamic Research and Fatah was asked, On one of the mornings of Ramadan, I went to the mountain where there were some game, i.e. animals. So I got hold of my rifle and shot some game to eat after breaking the fast. Is there any sin upon me or expiation for having done this, i.e. shooting these game? And is hunting game prohibited in the month of Ramadan? And what should I do if there is anything required of me? The permanent committee responded, Hunting while fasting does not affect the fast. So your fast is correct and there is no need to make up the fast since there is no problem in hunting during Ramadan. And with Allah lies all success. And may Allah send prayers and salutations upon our Prophet Muhammad and upon his family and all of his companions. Sheikh Ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, Whoever prays the Taraweeh prayers, must he then continue to pray them throughout Ramadan? The Sheikh responded, No, he does not have to continue praying Taraweeh because it is only a recommended Sunnah prayer, which means that if he prays them, then he is rewarded. And if he leaves them, then he is not a sinner. However, by leaving them, he misses out on a lot of good, as we have mentioned before. Sheikh Ibn Jibreen was asked, What is the ruling regarding drinking tea or coffee after the two units, i.e. raka'atain, of the night prayer? The Sheikh responded, This is permissible, since the duration of the night prayer is long, and the elderly become exhausted easily, as do those who have accustomed themselves to taking tea and coffee as a means of energy. However, if there is no need in doing so, then it is better to leave it. Wallahu a'lam. Sheikh Ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, Some imams in the masajid in Ramadan elongate their supplication, and some of them shorten them. So what is correct? The Sheikh responded, The supplication should not be too long, nor should it be too short. Elongating the supplication to the extent that it is difficult upon the people, is forbidden. That is because when news reached the Prophet ﷺ that Mu'adh ibn Jabal ta'ala anhu elongated his prayer when he was with his people, the Prophet ﷺ became so angry that he had not been angry in an exhortation similar to it before. And he said to Mu'adh ta'ala anhu, Are you a charmer, O Mu'adh? Therefore, it is more correct to shorten the supplication so that it is in conformity with that which has been reported from the Prophet 
because there is no doubt that elongating the supplication is difficult for the people as it exhausts them, especially the weak amongst them. Furthermore, there may be people praying with the imam who do not want to leave before the imam finishes praying. So elongating the supplication will make it difficult for the weak ones to remain with the imam. So my advice to my brothers, the imams, is to strike an even balance and make the supplication not too long and not too short. Likewise, it is befitting to leave off the supplication altogether sometimes so that the general Muslims do not think that the supplication is obligatory. Sheikh Ibn al-Thaymeen was asked, Often, some imams in the masajid attempt to soften the hearts of the people and affect them by changing the tone of their voices in the taraweeh prayer and the qanud supplication. I've heard from some people who dislike this. So what is your opinion on this and may Allah protect and preserve you? The shaykh responded, I see it that if this action is within the limits of the sharia and without excessiveness, then there is no problem with it. Because Abu Musa al-Ashari radiallahu ta'ala anhu said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, If I knew you were listening to my recitation, I would have beautified it for you. So if some people beautify their voices or do so in a manner which softens the hearts, then I do not see that there is a problem in that. However, if this action is excessive, as has been mentioned in the question, then I feel it is not befitting to do it. And with Allah is the complete knowledge. Sheikh Ibn Jibreen was asked, which of the two is better, completing the taraweeh prayer or accompanying the janazah, i.e. the funeral procession? The Shaykh responded, My opinion is that accompanying the funeral procession is better because the opportunity for doing so can pass by, whereas taraweeh prayer is ongoing and lasts throughout the month. Furthermore, it is possible to make up the taraweeh prayer after the funeral, even if you were to do so by yourself. And there is no doubt that accompanying the deceased has been made incumbent upon the relatives of the deceased, and accompanying the funeral procession is fard kifaya, or a collective obligation, which if some of the Muslims carry it out, then it relieves the rest of this obligation. Sheikh Ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, with respect to the taraweeh prayer on the night preceding the Eid day, is it to be completed or not? The Shaykh responded, If the sighting of the moon has been confirmed on the 30th night of Ramadan, then the taraweeh prayer is not to be completed, nor is the night prayer to be completed in congregation in the masjid. This is because the taraweeh prayer and the night prayer in congregation in the masjid is specific to Ramadan. So if the end of the month is confirmed, then they are not to be completed and the people should leave the masajid and return to their homes. Shaykh Ibn al was asked, What are the signs of Laylatul Qadr, i.e. the night of power? The Shaykh responded, From amongst the signs of Laylatul Qadr is that it is a calm night and the believer's heart is delighted and at peace and he becomes active in doing good actions. And the sun on the following morning rises clearly without any rays. Shaykh Ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, Some people seek Laylatul Qadr so they are active by offering their prayers and other forms of worship, whilst they do not do likewise on other nights in Ramadan. So is this in accordance with that which is correct? 
The Shaykh responded, No, this is not in accordance with that which is correct, because the night on which Laylatul Qadr falls changes. So Laylatul Qadr could be on the night of the 27th, and it could be on any other night from the last two nights of Ramadan, as has been indicated in many ahadith. It has been confirmed that the Prophet ﷺ said, in that particular year, Laylatul Qadr was revealed on the night of the 21st, al-Hadith. Therefore, it is not correct for a person to stand in prayer on a particular night or to specify a particular night which he yearns to be Laylatul Qadr. Rather, striving in all of the last 10 nights of Ramadan is from the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. Since when the last 10 nights arrived, he would tighten his waist belt and awaken his family. And he used to spend all of the last 10 nights of Ramadan awake in worship. So the prudent believer should strive in all of the last 10 nights of Ramadan so that the reward does not pass him by. Sheikh Ibn Fawzan was asked, What are the good and desired actions specified for the blessed month of Ramadan? The Shaykh responded, The good and desired actions specified for Ramadan are many. Amongst them are taking care and performing that which Allah has made obligatory in Ramadan as well as outside of Ramadan, such as the Salah. It is also recommended to increase in the supererogatory actions such as reading the Qur'an, performance of the Tarawih prayer, performance of tahajjud or night prayer, giving in charity, i'tikaf or seclusion in the masjid to worship Allah, increasing in the remembrance of Allah by saying subhanallah, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar Sitting in the masjid for the purpose of worship Protecting the fast from all that may invalidate it And keeping away from impermissible and disliked speech and actions The Permanent Committee for Islamic Research and Fatahs asked What are the conditions of i'tikaf and is fasting one of them? Is it permissible for the person in i'tikaf to visit a sick person? Answer an invitation fulfill some of his family's needs or go to work the permanent committee responded i'tikaf is permissible in any masjid in which the congregational prayer is established if the person in i'tikaf is from those upon whom friday prayers are obligatory and the length of his i'tikaf includes a friday then it is better to be in a masjid in which friday prayers are established fasting is not a necessary part of it the sunnah is that he does not visit the sick during his i'tikaf and that he does not answer the invitation nor fulfill the needs of his family. He should not witness the funeral by following it and he should not go to work outside the masjid. This is due to what has been authentically narrated on the authority of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha who said the sunnah for he who is in i'tikaf is that he does not visit the sick nor witness a funeral nor touch a woman, i.e. his wife, nor have intercourse with her, nor leave to fulfill a need except that which is necessary. Al-Hadith. And with Allah lies all success, and may peace and blessings be upon our Prophet Muhammad, and upon his family, and all of his companions. Shaykh Ibn al was asked, Does the i'tikaf have a fixed time, and is it restricted to just Ramadan, or is it permissible in other than Ramadan? The Shaykh responded, It is prescribed that i'tikaf be made in Ramadan only. 
This is because the Prophet ﷺ did not make i'tikaf in other than the month of Ramadan, except the time that he had performed i'tikaf in the month of Shawwal, because he left off doing i'tikaf in the month of Ramadan. And so he ﷺ made it up in the month of Shawwal. Therefore, it is permissible to make i'tikaf outside of Ramadan. Also because Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu asked the Prophet ﷺ saying, I vowed to do i'tikaf for a night and a day in the Masjid al-Haram. The Messenger of Allah ﷺ said, fulfill your vow. Shaykh ibn Jibreen was asked, what is the ruling of i'tikaf and is it permissible to do it in other than the Masajid? The Shaykh responded, i'tikaf is sunnah or recommended, but it is not obligatory. And i'tikaf is not correct except if it is performed in the masajid. This is because Allah the Majestic and the High said in the Quran, While you are in i'tikaf in the masajid, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number 187. He subhanahu wa ta'ala also said in the Quran, That they should purify my house for those who circumambulate it and make i'tikaf in it. Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number 125. The house is the Masjid al-Haram in Mecca. Additionally, if someone were to make i'tikaf in other than the masajid, it would lead him to missing prayers with the congregation of Muslims in the masajid. And leaving congregational prayers in the masjid is a great sin. Also, it could lead him to frequently go to the prayer. And his frequent leaving, going and coming, contradicts the i'tikaf. Because the one performing i'tikaf should attach himself to the place of his i'tikaf. Shaykh ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, When does a person leave i'tikaf? Is it after sunset on the night prior to Eid? Or after Fajr on the day of Eid? The Shaykh responded, The person in i'tikaf leaves i'tikaf once Ramadan finishes. And Ramadan finishes as the sun sets on the night before the Eid. Anyone wishing to perform i'tikaf should enter i'tikaf at sunset prior to the 20th day of Ramadan. This is because the last 10 nights of Ramadan begin at sunset the night prior to the 20th day of Ramadan and ends at sunset on the night prior to Eid. Shaykh ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, what is the ruling of the person whose father did not allow him to do i'tikaf for unconvincing reasons? The shaykh responded, I'tikaf is sunnah or recommended. However, right al fitr has been legislated in the authentic sunnah to be paid in the last part of Ramadan does not override an obligatory act. Allah the Most High said in a hadith Qudzi, My servant does not come closer to me with something more beloved to me than that which I have obligated upon him. Al-Hadith. So if your father orders you not to do i'tikaf, and mentions reasons, such as do not do i'tikaf, because I have a need for you during that time, then your father has that right upon you. And perhaps the scale that you have used to render his reasons as unconvincing may be an unjust and inaccurate scale. This is because you desire to do i'tikaf, so you do not consider your father's reasons for forbidding you to do so as justifiable, whereas your father considers them as justifiable. So what I advise you is not to make i'tikaf. However, 
If your father said to make itikaf without mentioning any just reason for that, you would not be obliged to obey him in this case, as you were not obliged to follow him in a matter which in disobeying him would not cause any harm to him, and in obeying him would cause disadvantage to you. Shaykh Ibn Jibreel was asked, Is Zakat al-Fitr obligatory or just recommended? And from whom is it required? The Shaykh responded, Zakat al-Fitr is obligatory upon the Muslims because the Prophet ﷺ legislated it upon both males and females, and the young and the old. And he specified that it be one sa'a of food, or dates, or barley, or raisins, or cheese. And he ﷺ commanded that Zakat al-Fitr be given before the people leave to perform the Eid prayer. Therefore, Zakat al-Fitr has been legislated in the authentic sunnah to be paid in the last part of Ramadan as a purification for any small mistakes which may have come to pass during the fast. And likewise, it is food for the needy so that they do not have to ask or beg. And with Allah lies all success. Shaykh Ibn Jibreel was asked, What is the basis for the legislation of Zakat al-Fitr? The Shaykh responded, There are many authentic ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ that form the basis for Zakat al-Fitr being legislated. Such as the ahadith of Abdullah ibn Umar who said that the Prophet ﷺ legislated Zakat al-Fitr, or he said Ramadan, upon the male and the female, the free person and the slave, a of dates, al-hadith. And some of the scholars have deduced that Zakat al-Fitr is legislated through the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Indeed, whosoever purifies himself shall achieve success. Surah Al-A'la, verse number 14. So they have explained the statement of Allah, whosoever purifies himself, to mean Zakat al-Fitr. Shaykh ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, What is the ruling for denying Zakat al-Fitr and how is the denier to be dealt with? The Shaykh responded, Denying Zakat al-Fitr is haram because it is denying something that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa has legislated in the previously mentioned hadith of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu who said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa legislated Zakat al-Fitr. And it is well known that leaving off something that is obligatory is haram and doing so is sin and disobedience. Shaykh ibn Baz was asked, What is the ruling regarding the one who had forgotten to pay the zakat al-fitr until during the Eid khutbah after the Eid prayer? The Shaykh responded, It is obligatory to give zakat al-fitr before the Eid prayer, and whoever generally forgets to give zakat al-fitr before the Eid prayer, then there is nothing upon him except to give it as soon as he remembers. This is because zakat al-fitr is wajib or obligatory, so he must give it as soon as he remembers. However, it is not permissible for anyone to intentionally delay giving zakat al-fitr until after the Eid prayer according to the correct opinion because the Messenger of Allah وسلم, commanded the Muslims to discharge it before the Eid prayer. Shaykh Ibn Jibreel was asked, If one does not discharge the zakat al-fitr before the Eid prayer, is he relieved of this obligation? The Shaykh responded, the one who does not discharge zakat al-fitr before the Eid prayer, then he is a sinner, and he is not relieved of its obligation, rather he must discharge it afterwards.
Sheikh Imbaz was asked, I dispatched the zakat al-fitr specifically pertaining to myself, to my family, so that they can discharge it in my country. Is this action correct? The Sheikh responded, This is not a problem, and you shall be rewarded insha'Allah. Giving zakat al-fitr in your area is better, since you are giving it to the needy in the area where you live, and this is better. And sending it to your family in order that they give it to the needy in your country is not a problem. Sheikh Ibn al-Uthaymin was asked, Is it permissible to discharge the obligation of Zakat al-Fitr on the first day of Ramadan? And is it permissible to distribute it in money? The Sheikh responded, The scholars have differed about discharging Zakat al-Fitr on the first day of Ramadan. However, the most correct opinion is that it is not permissible because it is called Zakat al-Fitr. And al-fitr, or the ending of the fast, does not occur except at the end of the month. Also, the Messenger of Allah wasallam ordered that it be discharged before the people go out for Salat al-Eid, or the Eid prayer. Furthermore, the companions, radiallahu ta'ala anhum jami'an, used to give out zakat al-fitr one or two days before the Eid. As for discharging zakat al-fitr in money, this is also a point of ikhtilaf or difference opinion amongst the scholars. However, the correct opinion is that it is not given except by distribution of food. This is because Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma said in an authentic hadith related by Imam al-Bukhari that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made it obligatory uh, to pay zakat al-fitr from a sa'ab dates or sa'ab barley al-hadith. Also in another authentic hadith narrated by Imam al-Bukhari upon the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu who said that we used to distribute zakat al-fitr during the time of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as one sa'a of food and our food was dates and barley and raisins and cheese al-hadith so it becomes clear from these two hadith that zakat al-fitr is not given except from food furthermore giving zakat al-fitr in food is an open display and all of the members of the family know about it. And in this way, uh, this aspect of the religion is exhibited and manifested in the society. As for discharging it in money, this causes the al fitr to be concealed or unseen. And perhaps the person may favor himself by discharging it in money, thereby re- reducing its amount. As the amount would differ if we compare the value of one sa'a of dates to one sa'a of barley, for example since a sa'a of barley is about $2, while the cost of a sa'a of dates varies according to quality, from $7 for a lesser quality, to $12 for a medium quality, to $49 for the best quality per sa'a. Therefore, strictly following the law, or the Qur'an and the Sunnah, is best, and it is blessed. Someone might argue that the distribution of food doesn't benefit the poor, but we say the poor person, if truly poor, must definitely benefit from the food. Sheikh Ibn al-Uthaymin was asked, quoting the evidences, is it permissible to discharge zakat al-fitr in money? The Sheikh responded, zakat al-fitr must be paid in food, and it is not permissible to pay it in other than that, because the Prophet 
made it obligatory that zakat al-fitr be paid in food from a saw of dates or a saw of barley. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu said in an authentic hadith narrated by Imam al-Bukhari, we used to discharge zakat al-fitr in the time of the Prophet as a saw of food, al-hadith. Therefore, it is not lawful for anyone to discharge zakat al-fitr from money or clothing or household furnishings. Instead, it is obligatory to discharge it in what Allah has made obligatory upon the tongue of the Prophet ﷺ. And there is no consideration for the istihsan, or viewing of something to be good without a basis from the legal sources of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the view of those people who see it, that giving zakat al-fitr and money is a good thing. The sharia does not follow the opinions of the people. Rather, the law... It's from the one who is all-wise and all-knowing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mighty, the glorious, the all-knowing, the most wise. So, if that which has been made obligatory upon the tongue of Muhammad wasallam is a sa'a of food, then it is not permissible to substitute anything else, no matter what our intellect leads us to believe as being good. Instead, the human being must question and suspect his intellect and his opinions if they contradict the law of Allah. Sheikh Ibn al-Thaymeen was asked, what is the ruling in the case of someone who is compelled to discharge zakat al-fitr by money? And does it fulfill for him his obligation? The Sheikh responded, it appears to me that if someone is compelled to discharge zakat al-fitr in money, then he should give it in money, and he should not openly disobey those in authority. However, in secret, between him and Allah, he should give zakat al-fitr in the way that he has been commanded by the Prophet ﷺ. Therefore, he should give a sa'a of food as the Prophet ﷺ has commanded. And those who have forced you to give zakat al-fitr in money have compelled you to do something that Allah has not legislated. Therefore, you must fulfill that which is obligatory. Shaykh Ibn al-Thaymeen was asked, is it permissible to discharge zakat al-fitr from meat? Some of the desert dwellers do not have food to distribute for zakat al-fitr. So is it permissible for them to slaughter some of their animals and distribute it to the poor? The shaykh responded, This is not correct, because the Prophet ﷺ made it obligatory to give one sa'a of food, while meat is measured by weight and not by volume. In an authentic hadith, narrated by Imam al-Bukhari upon the authority of Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma who said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made obligatory the zakat al-fitr as a sa'a of dates or a sa'a of barley. And in another authentic hadith also narrated by Imam al-Bukhari upon the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu who said we used to discharge zakat al-fitr in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a sa'a of food and our food was dates and barley and raisins and cheese al-hadith for this reason the strongest opinion is that zakat al-fitr is not fulfilled by giving money nor clothing nor furniture and there is no weight to the sayings of those who say that zakat al-fitr is fulfilled by payment of money because as long as we have in front of us an authentic hadith of the prophet wasallam, then there is no opinion in the matter after his nor should we accept as good what the intellect considers good while negating the law or the Qur'an and the Sunnah. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not ask us about the opinion of so-and-so on the day of resurrection. He will only question us about the saying of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as Allah has said in his book, and remember the day Allah will call to them and say, what answer gave you to the messengers? Surah Al-Qasas, verse number 65. So just imagine yourself standing before Allah on the day of resurrection, while it had been made obligatory upon you to fulfill the payment of zakat al-fitr from food. Will it be possible if you are asked on the day of resurrection, how did you answer the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in reference to the obligation of this charity? Will it be possible for you to defend yourself and say, by Allah, this is the opinion of so and so, and this is the opinion of such and such? No. And even if you said that, it would not benefit you at all. The truth, without doubt, is that zakat al-fitr is not accepted except from food. And any food which is the staple food of the country fulfills this obligation. If you look at the opinions of the scholars in this issue, you will see that they are on two extremes and one in the middle. One extreme side says, pay zakat al-fitr from food or pay it from money. The other extreme side says, don't pay it from money and don't pay it from food except five types of food, which is wheat, dates, barley, raisins, and cheese. These two opinions are the extreme opposite of each other. As for the middle opinion, it says pay zakat al-fitr from every food which the people are fed from, and not from that which the people are not fed from. So pay it from wheat, dates, rice, millet, corn, and whatever is similar to that. Even to the extent that if we accepted the idea that there is a place where the staple food of the people is meat, then we would pay it from meat. Based on this, it becomes clear that what the questioner mentioned about the people of the desert giving meat in place of a sa'a, of those staple items which are normally given as zakat al-fitr, does not fulfill the obligation of zakat al-fitr, because in reality, their staple food is not meat. Sheikh Ibn Jabin was asked, what is recommended for us to do on the day of Eid al-Fitr? The Sheikh responded, on the day of Eid al-Fitr, the Muslims display their joy at completing the fast and standing the night in prayer. The Shaykh responded, On the day of Eid al-Fitr, the Muslims display their joy at completing fasting and standing the night in prayer and all other forms of worship. And certainly that is amongst the greatest blessings which Allah has granted His servants. So they begin firstly by reciting the takbir, or saying Allahu Akbar, on the night before the Eid, continuing until the following day before the Eid prayer. Then they leave the first thing in the morning to perform this worship, which is the Eid prayer, in a specific manner. And this prayer takes place outside of town, in an open space that has been officially designated for the purpose, with both men and women in attendance. Then they return full of joy and happiness at this blessing, and begin exchanging greetings and well-wishing each other, and they visit each other, eating throughout the day, as a sign of the end of fasting. Shaykh Ibn al-Uthaymeen was asked, we would like to know what a Muslim says once the moon of Shawwal has been sighted up until before the Eid prayer. The Shaykh responded, it is appropriate to increase in reciting the takbir, or saying Allahu Akbar, and the tahleel, or saying La ilaha illallah, 
and the tahmeed, saying Alhamdulillah. Because Allah Taala mentions in the Qur'an, and that you must magnify Allah for having guided you so that you may be grateful. Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number 185. Shaykh Ibn al has asked, What is the wording of the takbir and the tahmeed? The Shaykh responded, Its wording is, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Wallahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. Or one can say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. Sheikh Ibn Jibreen was asked, Is it permissible for the woman to leave the home for the Eid al-Fitr prayer? The Sheikh responded, Yes, it has been legislated for men to leave their homes for the Eid prayer, and likewise it has been confirmed for women to leave their homes for the Eid prayer. And it is mentioned in an authentic hadith narrated by both Al-Imam Bukhari and Al-Imam Muslim on the authority of Umm Atiyah radiallahu ta'ala anha who said, we were commanded to leave our homes on the day of Eid, even the virgin from behind her veil, and even the menstruating woman, so they would recite the takbir and supplicate, seeking the blessing of that day and its purification. Sheikh Ibn Baz has asked, If any of the two Eids, i.e. Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha, fall on a Jum'ah, are we required to pray the Jum'ah prayer with its khutbah on that day or not? The Sheikh responded, it has been legislated for the Muslims that if the Eid falls on a Friday, that they pray the Eid prayer and the Jumu'ah prayer in the Masajid, where the Jumu'ah prayer is normally held. And it is permissible for the one who attended the Eid prayer to leave off the Jumu'ah prayer and perform the Dhuhr prayer instead. The Pona Committee for Islamic Research and Fatawas asked, a fatwa was given that the Jum'ah and Dhuhr prayer are not obligatory if one attended the Eid prayer, and this applies to both the Imam or any of the congregation. The permanent committee responded, If the Eid falls on a Friday, then attending the Jum'ah prayer for anyone who attended the Eid prayer is not obligatory, except for the Imam. However, the Imam is not relieved of this obligation, except if the people do not gather for the Jum'ah prayer. <laughs> 